Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come he is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of the Father, will you bow? Will you surrender to His majesty? He can save you from the might of all your sin. This is the fight in which He stands in perfect victory while you have breath. have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to is a shelter from the coming storm while you have breath you have a choice to make in life away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's too dumb He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Let me be clear. I come on this broadcast and on this YouTube day after day for only one purpose, and that is to do everything in my power to secure the salvation of your soul. The greatest danger we face today is the danger of distraction. There is a crown waiting for us, and the devil is going to bring forth every smorgasbord possibility to turn you aside from the path to heaven. And we have established our churches on the broad way. And they preach a gospel that is a mixture of truth and lies. The lies of a sinning Christian, the lies that the old man of sin cannot be destroyed in your life, and you're always going to be giving in, you're always going to be sinning, you can't be holy, you can't be righteous, don't worry, Jesus has you covered. No, he doesn't. John Bunyan in the book Pilgrim's Progress, writes very aptly about this place of distraction. I want to share a portion with you today. I'm going to begin reading on page 127, and I'm reading by permission from the C.J. Lavick updated version of Pilgrim's Progress. Then I saw in my dream that when they had left the borders of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them. The name of that town is Vanity, and in that town there is a year-round market called Vanity Fair. It bears its name because the town that hosts the fair is only concerned with things that are unimportant and vain. All that is bought and sold at the fair is likewise vain and worthless. As the ancient sayings go, all that cometh is vanity. This fair is no new business, but has been established from ancient times. I'll now explain to you a part of its history and origin. Almost 5,000 years ago, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city, just as Christian and faithful were doing. Belzebub, Apollyon, Legion, with all of their companions, seeing that the pilgrims' path went right through the town of Vanity, conspired together to set up a fair in which all sorts of vain merchandise would be sold all year long. The merchants were ready to sell houses, lands, trades, places, honors, positions, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, delights of all sorts, such as whores, lewd entertainment, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, whatever you wanted, it was for sale. Moreover, at this fair, there can always be seen juggling and cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, rogues, and that sort of that sort of cheap entertainment. Also to be seen at no charge are thefts, murders, adulteries, false witnesses who cause death with with their lies. As in other fairs of less importance, where there are several rows and streets all 
purportedly named for the different wares that are vended, so also Vanity Fair has the proper places, rows and streets, countries and kingdoms, where the wares of their fair can be found. Here's the Britain row, the French row, the Italian row, the Spanish row, the the German row. And had he been writing it today, he would have included the American row. The Ukraine row. The Russian row. Where all sorts of vanities are to be sold. Also, as in other fairs where one particular commodity is in great demand, so it is in Vanity Fair. Here the wares of the Roman church are greatly promoted and desired. And only a few nations, including England, have taken a dislike to the goods of Rome. Remember, this was written back in the 1600s. Now, as I said, the way to the celestial city lies through this town where this lusty fair is kept. Anyone going to the celestial city who will not go through this town must go out of the world. The prince of princes himself, when he was here, went through this town to his own country. It was Beelzebub, the chief lord of this fair, who invited him to buy some of his vanities. He even offered to make him lord of the fair if only he would show reverence as he went through the town. Because the prince was such a person of honor, Beelzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a short amount of time in order, if possible, to allure the blessed one to cheapen himself and buy some of his vanities. But the prince had no interest in the merchandise and left the town without spending so much as one penny on anything there. Now this fair is a great, ancient, and long-standing place. Now these pilgrims, as I said, must pass through Vanity Fair. And so they did, but as they entered into the fair, they created a great commotion, and all the people in the fair turned their attention to the two pilgrims. Now, there were several reasons for this. First, the pilgrims were dressed differently from the people trading at the fair. The people of the fair looked at them in astonishment, Some said they were fools, some said they were lunatics, and some said they were just outlandish men. Just an aside, the same will be true today as we make our way through Vanity Fair. You will not wear the tight clothing of our day. You will not wear the suggestive clothing, the uncovered clothing. It seems that today, for some reason, Both men and women just want to get naked, demanding nude beaches, wearing clothing that exposes as much as possible of their body. What are they thinking? They've gone insane. Vanity Fair today is insane. Continuing, secondly, as strange as the pilgrims' attire appeared to their onlookers, their speech was judged even stranger. Very few could even understand what the pilgrims said since they spoke the language of the promised kingdom rather than the language of the world, which was the common language of the fair. So from one end of the fair to the other, they seemed to be like barbarians to the others. And again, just a note, I am shocked that many, perhaps even you, pepper your language with cursing, with the F word. Your language is not that from heaven. It's a wicked language. It's a language of vanity, of stupidity. Let me continue. 
Thirdly, the thing most annoyed, that most annoyed and puzzled the merchants, was that these pilgrims put no value on the fair's goods. They did not even enjoy looking at them, and when the merchants called out to them to buy this or that, the pilgrims put their fingers in their ears and cried out, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and looking upward, signifying that their trade and traffic was only in heaven. One merchant, observing the strange conduct of the pilgrims, mockingly said to them, What will you buy? But they, looking sternly at him, answered, We buy the truth. This caused great offense, and the merchants began to despise the pilgrims even more. Some mocked, some taunted, some spoke reproachfully, and some began to call out for others to strike them. Finally, the pilgrims created so much commotion that the natural order of the fair was disrupted. The great confusion caused word to be sent to the great one of the fair, who quickly came down and dispatched a few of the most trusted friends to detain and question the two pilgrims. So they were held, and they were questioned. The men who examined them asked them where they came from, where they were going, and why they dressed in such unusual garb. Christian and Faithful told them that they were pilgrims, strangers in the world, and they were going to their own country, which was the heavenly Jerusalem. They also told them that they had done nothing to the men or the merchants of the town that should have caused them to be so mistreated and detained from making progress on their journey. They only, the only thing they did that caused an offense was to tell those that were trying to sell them their wares that they would only buy the truth. The men who were appointed to examine Christian and Faithful concluded that they were either mad vagabonds or troublemakers who'd come to create confusion in the fair. So they took them and beat them and smeared them with dirt and put them in a cage to be a spectacle to all the men of the fair. There they stayed for some time, the objects of ridicule, malice, revenge from any passerby who wished to abuse them, which caused the great one of the fair to laugh viciously at their plight. Well, that was a portion from John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, on trial for the gospel. You notice that in that place, everything is for sale. Houses, cars, and watches, computers, you name it, it's for sale in Vanity Fair. And you can go to any mall and find Vanity Fair in full operation. Bunyan was very clear that this merchandise for sale at the Vanity Fair has no importance for whether you go to heaven or hell. Oh, to hell, yes, because you'll imbibe fully in the distractions that come quickly upon the person who wants Vanity Fair. But let's go to the scriptures now. I've been sharing this week mysteries of the kingdom of God. These mysteries are spoken about in the book of Matthew, where there is described in Matthew 13 what's going on here. Let me turn quickly to it. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, He's asked, why do you always teach in parables? And he said, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I want to stop a moment. 
It's been given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But most, and many of you, have been utterly distracted by Vanity Fair. And so this is a time of buying and wrapping and the giving of gifts and and you're distracted. Your focus is not on Jesus. It's not on heaven. It's on Vanity Fair. Jesus continues, It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. That is, most people do not understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And he gives us four mysteries in this parable. We've spoken about the first mystery, which was the packed down earth. And then we spoke about the seed that is sown on rocky ground and that you are responsible for what the soil of your heart is. It's not by chance. You have designed, either consciously or unconsciously, the life that you now live. You are responsible for the soil of your own heart. And then today we come to probably the most difficult of of all the seeds in the soil. Let me read it for you. This is found in Mark. Mark, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading at verse 18. And these are the ones being sown among the thorns. The one hearing the word. So this is for people who have heard the preaching of the gospel. If you're listening to this radio broadcast and you're a long-time listener, you've heard the very straight word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There can be no confusion about that gospel. You may be confused because you've listen to a lot of other broadcasts and you've kind of homogenized everything and come up with your own flavor. And so there's a very high probability of, of deceit in your heart. But Mark 4 just cuts right to the truth. Remember, these pilgrims would only have the truth in Vanity Fair. They would buy the truth. In other words, the truth will cost you something. He says, And the cares of this age, and the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires concerning other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful, or it never matures as the as the New Revised Version says. Now, I want to look at these three items. First, the cares of this age. He's speaking about the responsibilities of this age. Some of you are totally blocked from engaging in serious prayer and scripture because you've taken on so many responsibilities. You don't have time. One person could not come to church on Sunday. Why? Well, because they'd worked late the night before and then had to go immediately to work again Sunday afternoon. And they were tired. Now, did they need that money? 
No, not really. What would they want it for? To buy lifestyle. In Vanity Fair. So we take on responsibilities that are not God-given to us. They are responsibilities for other people. Responsibilities for organizations or institutions. But we don't need to take on that responsibility at the cost of our life with Jesus Christ. And some of you have taken on such such responsibility that you think you have to do this to be a good person. But God has not asked us to do that. We've put that responsibility upon ourselves. These are the responsibilities of this age, that is, of this time frame. And Satan has made certain that you must have great responsibility in order to be considered someone worthwhile today. If you're not utilitarian, if you're not of of value in making money, you have no value in our culture. I don't want to take on any responsibility that Jesus has not asked me to take on. And I challenge you to examine carefully what responsibilities have you taken on. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to go here. Yes, I want to. And you take on yourself responsibilities that God did not ask you to take on. And the result is you have no time for scripture and prayer. You have no time to be alone with God. You're working. You're moving. You're always in action. You're cleaning this. You're putting this away. You're doing that. But you don't have time to just come and rest in the presence of Jesus and let him have his way with you. Somehow, some of you precious wives and women, if you're not moving, you're not valuable. If you're not working, you're not doing your job. And then, of course, there are those who never do anything. Instead, they'd rather go to their pleasures. Like one woman, when the tennis matches are on, she tells her family, I'm not going to cook. I'm going to watch the tennis games. That's her pleasure. Let me continue. the one sown among the thorns, the ones having heard the word and the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth is so deceitful. We think if we don't have the money to buy those gifts for those people or to do what we think we want to do, were somehow not valuable. That if we can just achieve wealth, we'll be somebody. I love Charles Dickens' the story of Scrooge. He had a beautiful sweetheart. And she was very upset with him. Because all he would do is work. And of course, he pretended that he was doing that so that they could have a life together. But in fact, that's not what was happening. 
It was greed and selfishness that had taken over his heart. And he thought that if he didn't become a millionaire, a multimillionaire, a billionaire, if he didn't, he could not have his legacy. He could not ever be the person he wants to be. He couldn't accomplish the things he wants to accomplish. And I apologize for the sound if it's coming through, but out in front of my studio, they're blowing leaves and it's loud and obnoxious. I hope it's not going to block you from hearing. It's very clear that the love of money is the root of all evil. And I see people men and women, going after their money. Not for their basic care, but for their lifestyle. So they'll work two or three jobs, paying a $1,000 or more a month on their, on their car payment for, for seven years or longer. They want to be able to go out in the morning and get into that beautiful Mercedes or BMW or Porsche or whatever car it is that grabs your attention. And they will work their fingers to the bone. And in the process, they lose their standing with heaven. They are distracted. And then another distraction comes. The pleasures of this life. The pleasures of this life. The desire concerning other things. The desire for the entertainment that our heart lusts after. Now, I have to tell you that one of the great issues that I have struggled with is the struggle with distractions. I just want to get home and and rest. I wish, and now has grown in my heart, I want to get home quickly as I can because I want that time to read the word and to pray and to rest in Jesus. But other pleasures can come in, the video games, other pleasures, the television, the YouTube videos, the cell phone. And all of those pleasures, those pleasures of food, comforting ourselves with those desserts, with that ice cream. And so we go through Vanity Fair saying, yes, I'll have a, I'll have a helping of that. I'll have one of those. Oh, yes, I see that beautiful, that beautiful watch. I'd like one of those. I'd like, I'd like, I want, I want. All I can say to you today is that the crown of life is before you, but it will require that you turn aside from Vanity Fair. Do you really need that next bigger house? Do you really need that new car? I drive a 2010 Hyundai Sonata. Belonged to my granddaughter before it came to live in my house. She had an accident, so one side of it is pretty well wiped out. It's kind of a rugged car. But as my wife says, we don't need a new car because it runs. It takes us safely from point A to point B. I don't need to go in debt for a a new car. 
or a new used car. When that one dies and is buried, then I'll wait on the Lord for the next car he wants to bring me. But see, there was a time in my life when every year I had to buy a new Mercedes-Benz because I loved the Mercedes style and the comfort. The Lord took that away from me many years ago. That was from Vanity Fair. Nobody needs a beautiful, beautiful new car with a payment schedule of over $1,000 a month or even over 800 or 500 Nobody needs a car like that. We cause ourselves much grief by our distractions that tear us away from Jesus, that don't allow us to have the peace in our heart and the, and the time to just focus on Jesus. Now, please, let me say something to you. If you want your prayers answered, you are going to have to turn aside from Vanity Fair. You're going to have to turn aside and be in seclusion where you can be quiet before God, where the television is off, where the computer is off, where the cell phone is off, where you are just totally focused. This is my time with Jesus, and I'm not going to allow it. Any possibility of distraction. Jesus said to his disciples, could you not watch and pray, yea, for even one hour? Real prayer doesn't start until after the first hour. It takes most of us a minimum of that first hour just to clear away the debris and begin to get small enough in the presence of God that he will answer. This, this wonderful little book, Remarkable Incidents in Modern Miracles Through Prayer and Faith by G.C. Bevington. He talks about spending 30 hours, 40 hours in prayer, just getting quiet enough before God so that he can finally hear what he's to pray. This quick, fast lifestyle does not further the kingdom of God. It hinders us in the way of righteousness. There's this passage of scripture. Turn to it quickly. It's found here in Matthew. Watch out for false prophets. Matthew 7, verse 15. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. So let me just ask, what fruit are you bearing? Are you one of these false prophets who says, I'm a Christian, but you're bearing fruit unto unrighteousness. You're bearing fruit. that are thistles that are straight from Vanity Fair. Verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. What is the recognized fruit of your life? Is it hustle and busy and going for the the pleasures of life, going for the entertainment of the day, going to the parties? What is the fruit of your life? Not everyone, verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven 
The only way you can know what the will of God is for you is to spend that time working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, reading the word, meditating on the word, fasting before God, seeking his face. There's no other way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting. Verse 21 to 27 tells us that it's not a personal relationship with Jesus that gives us entrance into heaven. It is doing the will of the Father. It is doing the will of the Father. Well, how can you know what the will of the Father is if you have not been quiet before him, if you've not waited before him? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? I listened with great sadness to a man dressed with a hat and old clothes, looked like he came from another place with a a Gandalf staff, prophesying. Then a woman came and she prophesied over him. These prophets did not talk about the blood of Jesus. They did not talk about or confront the congregation listening to them about their sin. Instead, the congregation was giving them loud shouts and applause because they were saying things that they wanted to hear, but it was not the word of the living God, and it was not prophecy. It was foolishness. Oh, yes. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He says, depart from me, I don't know you. My question to you, does Jesus know you? Or have you been so busy that you've never taken the time to just get quiet before him and read in one sitting the book of 1 John or James? or Joel, or Revelation? Have you been so busy in your life that you've not had any time to get to know Jesus and then obey his word? It's not some superficial relationship that's going to get you into heaven. It's doing the will of the Father. Do you know what the will of the Father is in your life today? It's doing his will. That's what wins us that place, not by works, but by faith, with Jesus flowing through us because we've taken the time, we've cast out vanity fair. We've we've allowed Jesus to remove from us our lust for clothing and the fancy and the expensive and the lifestyle. We've let Jesus take from us the foolishness of Vanity Fair. And now what we want is to be about our business and to be on our way to heaven and to bring as many with us as we can. We're no longer interested in the stuff of this world. We don't go by the jewelry store and 
look at that watch or that necklace and lust after it. Make plans on how we can buy it. Or that new car. Or that new house. None of those things will effectively bring us closer to Jesus unless we purchase those things with his money that he wants used for his kingdom. Now, please understand me. You should be buying nothing that does not have a focus on the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you are, you are participating in Vanity Fair. And you will be loved by the world and respected by the world. But you will not be known by Jesus. I come urging you today. It says the rains came down and the streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There is a storm coming upon America. There is a very high potential of a direct conflict between Russia and America. But if that never happens, there is an even greater possibility within a short time of America being thrown into the lion's den where our money is totally devalued. Where our houses that we spent so much on are reduced in value by 70 or 90%, and we're upside down. There's a grave danger of immense social disconnect with muggings and shootings and robberies even much greater than we experience today. As this storm comes and it beats against our lives. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now there are two houses built. Maybe from the outside they look very familiar, very similar. But one house folds and is washed away. Because he built his house on the sand. He had no foundation going deep down to the rock. But the second man built his house on the rock. On Jesus Christ. You don't have time to go to church. You don't have time to open the Bible and read and spend several hours every day reading the word. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to seek the Lord. Okay, the day will come when Jesus will look at you and say, depart from me, you wicked man, wicked woman. I don't know you. You're on your own. And the storm will come and it will blow you away. There's a time coming when you're going to need food and you're going to need shelter. You're going to need protection. If you are not able to reach out to the throne room of God and touch the throne, you will lose everything. All that really matters is that crown of life that's been set apart for us. It's there for you. You're going to have to come into a place with Jesus. where you're quiet and you weep and you repent and you cast out all unrighteousness and you seek the face of Jesus.
Stop playing games. Stop walking with the devil. Seek the face of Jesus Christ. For he alone is our Savior. It was he who was born in Bethlehem, the risen Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is establishing his kingdom now upon this earth. It is what I reach for with all my heart. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I'd like to hear from you. I can't do this broadcast alone. I thank those of you who are giving, Joanne, Dirk, and others. Thank you. But there are many others of you that I've not heard from and were at the last end coming up of December. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, and the Lord will bless you for sharing in the work of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I come today with brothers and sisters, many of whom, Lord, desperately need the revival power of your Holy Spirit, for they have been delayed and distracted in Vanity Fair. They've been looking at all of the wares. They've been lusting after the things of the flesh. Lord, I'm asking for a revival of godliness and holiness that men and women would turn aside from these distractions of the world, from the pleasures of the world. Lord, I ask that they would turn aside and understand that you alone offer the food of life, that you are the food, that your blood is the drink. Lord, I plead with you today for every person who has listened Will you give them time now to awaken and to find you, to search you out, to read the word, to be filled by your Holy Spirit? Lord, have your way today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray. I'd like to hear from you. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.